Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's episode is on suicide and specifically, more specifically, the report that's recently come out in the uh, state of Minnesota on the numbers that we're, we're facing, which is unfortunately not happy, but hopefully we'll get a, a public health perspective on it from our illustrious guests. So stay tuned in a second here. We've got a great crew that that drives our program logistically, research-wise, production-wise. We've got Maddie Levine-Wolf and Aaron Collins and DeAndra Howard all do our background research and give Clarence and I some semblance of order as far as talking points are, are concerned. We've got Matthew Campbell, who's our production manager, puts together all the logistics for these shows and gets the shows out to you, the listening audience. Sheridan Nygaard is our, our marketing specialist and also helps on uh, background research as well. My dearest of dear colleague, Clarence, Clarence Jones, we've been having fun doing this. We like to chat about health issues and hopefully we're getting some useful, honest, up-to-date information to you, the listening audience, through our Health Chatter podcast venue. And then finally, I want to recognize Human Partnership, who's our sponsor for this engagement, for all of our engagements, a wonderful community initiative that focuses on health for all of us. And I encourage all of you to check out their their website. You can check our website out as well as healthchatterpodcast.com. You can see their information and all the logistics for our, our shows, including um, on our website, we put our background research on there and the sites that we've used in order for us to reflect on good questions for our our guests that that we have. Today we have a wonderful guest, a great colleague of mine, Stefan Gingrich from the Minnesota Department of Health, who's recently, it's only been like, what, less than a month or so that you've got a report out on what's going on in the, uh, in the state of Minnesota. And uh, Clarence and I will reflect not only on that, but also how we compare, for instance, to other states uh, nationally, and then also what's going on nationally as a whole around the uh, issue of uh, suicide, unfortunately, and suicide um, prevention. So today we have Stefan with us, senior epidemiologist at Minnesota Department of Health, who was previously at Staywell Health Management. He's, he's done a variety of different publications in, the, in this arena, and most notably the, the one that you'll hear about today. He's got his background in epidemiology from the University of Iowa, the Hawkeye State, south of Minnesota. So welcome to you, Stefan, to Health Chatter. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, thanks. So, all right. Um, suicide. Um, you know, when Clarence and I do a lot of these shows, we talk about acute medical conditions, we talk about chronic medical conditions, but suicide kind of is, is, is a variable or a condition that's almost in a, um, a realm by itself. So let's, let's first and foremost, let's just start out with, all right, what's going on in the state of Minnesota? So go ahead, Stefan, reflect on, on, on the report that, that you've put out and tell us where we're at, the trend that we're seeing, how it's, how it's reflected by maybe different races in the state, uh, geographic variations, et cetera. You know the whole story, so take it away. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I could talk about this for a while because I've given presentations on exactly what you're saying. Um, often and and at great length but before i do that i just want to like right off the top mention if anybody listening is having uh, a mental health crisis or considering suicide or knows somebody who is the number is 988 call that text it 24 7 you can get the help you need um, that's nationwide 
as well as throughout Minnesota, which is where I focus. Um, Thank just, you. You know, pause the podcast, call that number, come back and listen to us later. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as you mentioned, so the the trend with regard to suicide in Minnesota, which, again, is where I focus all my attention um, and nationally is is not a good thing. It's not what we're we're hoping to see. The numbers have consistently uh, gone up over the past 20 plus years. Um, I do my best when I you know talk about this with the Suicide Prevention Task Force yesterday or um, suicide prevention coordinators across the state to try to find some bright spots. Um, and you know, this podcast is one example. The task force is one example. There are lots of people working hard on these issues to bring a comprehensive public health approach to preventing future increases in suicide. And at the same time, um, this is a 20 year trend that we've seen. And so we, you know, back in 2001 in Minnesota, the rate was 9.6 per 100,000. Um, and now it is, you know, most recently the estimate for 2022 that we're calculating is 14.3. So that's a pretty substantial increase, um, yeah. you know, about a 50% increase or so. Um, and, you know, putting that into context, if we think about, you know, something like, like weight loss and heart disease, Dan, I know you know a lot about mm -hmm. this. You don't turn that around in a day and a half. You yeah. don't turn around heart disease in a day and a half. You don't turn around a 20 year trend um, in even a year or a year and a half. And so, what we kind of are looking for at this point is a slowing of the increase, um, maybe a few years of decreases that could signal perhaps we're reaching a point where the numbers might start to come down a little more consistently. Um, we've seen a couple of hopeful signs. You know, the optimistic side of me looks at 2017 and 18 in Minnesota, where the numbers came mm -hmm. down in 2018 relative to 2017. Nationally, those numbers came down in 2019 and 2020, surprisingly enough, with regard to the pandemic and the, the other social issues that happened in 2020. Um, and so those two years of decreases give, you know, the optimist in me a little bit of hope that that we're seeing something change. Whereas in the previous 20 years, at least again in Minnesota, we had only seen two years of decreases over an 18, 15 year period. So like I said, the numbers are going up. If you look at the 20 year trend, it is increasing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the pessimistic side of me looks at 2022 and the preliminary numbers already show us the highest number of suicide deaths in Minnesota. Um, of any year in the past 20 years and probably decades before that, um, there were 835 uh, suicide deaths in Minnesota in, in 2022. And that, like I said, works out to a rate, a preliminary rate of 14.3 per 100,000, which um, I'm expecting will increase to be the highest rate that we've had um, in state history. So I, yeah, I'm glad you have some optimism. It's still, it's still a, um, a sad story. Um, so, um, and, and Clarence, chime in on this for sure. Um, is there, do we have any sense based on when people call, okay? Like they might call that 988 number. Do we have any sense at all on, on how many we might've prevented? Or is that is that too hard of an epidemiological um, thing uh, measurement to to get? So at this point, you know, with nine eight eight launched really in full force less than a year ago, yeah, um, that that data is not has not been analyzed to look at the prevention aspect and how many like you know actually enumerate the number of cases we might have. Yeah. Um, prevented. I think the other complicating factor um, is that the the profile, the, the the sort of the epidemiological background of the people who tend to call those numbers, and the people who are treated in hospitals for suicide ideation um, and non fatal suicide attempts is very different from that of those who die by suicide. Um, and I can talk about that a little bit, but I want to invite Clarence in because yeah. you mentioned him chiming in on that as well. Yeah, Clarence, what do you got on this one? You're on mute. 
I think what I wanted to know, uh, Stephanie, as you were talking, uh, you were talking about uh, you you look for the drops. You're looking to see, you know, change in the drop. You had a uh, drop in 2019, 2020. I think that was when we were in the pandemic. Am I correct? That was the time of the ten. So what do you what do you attribute the drops to? I mean, is it the fact that people weren't out, or what? What, what was the conversation about why the de- why the, uh, the suicide rates dropped? Yeah, so I've I've heard a number of different theories just sort of um, passed around, and I think as as years go by, as more data comes through um, from the pandemic and from years after as well, because we're you know there was the pandemic, and then it, we're we're coming out of the sort of emergency phase of the pandemic now. Um, as those things start to shift, then we have better comparisons. Um, a few of the different hypotheses that I've heard are um, related to um, having a common enemy. So as as COVID reared its ugly head, everybody could focus on, you know, blaming things on the virus as opposed to um, internalizing whatever is happening in your life and saying, well, you know, I'm super stressed right now and I'm depressed right now and I lost my job, but that's because of COVID. It's not because of anything that, you know, reflective of myself. Um, so that's one theory. Other theories, um, you know, when I look at the age distribution of what happened in 2018 and 19 and 2020, every age group under the age of 65 in Minnesota had a lower suicide rate in 2020 than in 2019. Every age group over 65 had a higher suicide rate in 2020 than 2019. And so that gives me at least some clues in terms of, um, you know, I think about isolation and not just like physical isolation, but also the resulting social isolation where it's possible that people over 65 who are higher risk for COVID complications and death may have isolated themselves more. And we know that isolation, lack of social connection is a risk factor for suicide and suicide thoughts. Um, the other aspect of it is, you know, if you're living alone and, you know, it's possible that people over 65 are more likely to live alone, um, you may have more opportunities to cause self-harm, to attempt suicide than if you're living in a family, a family household where you've got young children or teenagers around. And we know that schools were closed, so kids were at home all the time. Parents were less likely to be at home alone. So there was just, there was more at home time. So that may have contributed to um, fewer opportunities, as well as just a growing awareness that like, if you're spending more time with your teenager, or if you're spending more time with your spouse or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it is that you're living with, you might notice that they're having mental health issues. There was an increased awareness of mental health issues during COVID um, that people would attribute to COVID, but may have also had an effect on um, suicidal thoughts and experiences that might have protected some people from those self-harm events. So if that, um, Stefan, so if the the trend is increasing, um, might it be because we have um, better measurement techniques? I think that it's possible. Sure. I think, um, you know, we, we probably are getting a little bit better at recognizing suicidal experiences um, um, and reporting, reducing the stigma around suicide. You know, when you reduce the stigma around something, you do tend to find more of it. You know, we've, we've seen that in other cases as well. Um, I think, you know, our measurement isn't perfect, but that, that is one of those optimistic sort of yeah, yeah. Um, the positive points is if we can get better data, and I think we have good data, but it also can be better, um, we may be able to find ways to guide interventions, develop interventions, and um, you know, point those interventions in the right places. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about um, male, female. Mm-hmm. Okay, because to me, it's striking. Yeah where we see suicide rates, again, according to your report in, in, in the, uh, the state of Minnesota, it's like off the charts, uh, more males 
compared to uh, females. So first, let me, you know, I'll ask first of all, why that might be. But second of all, is that pretty consistent with what we're seeing in other states as well? Yeah, that's, that's a similar pattern nationally where you see males tend to have a suicide rate about three to five times higher than females. And it's gonna vary based on the year. It's gonna vary based on the location. Um, it varies based on age group as well as yeah. racial groups. Um, so there, there are some variations there, but that's definitely one of the, the more persistent patterns that we see. And okay. And why, why are we see what, what, <laughs> what, what's going on here? Why, you know, why us males, um, have a higher rate. I, I read somewhere, um, access to methods, you know, maybe guns or, or, or what have you, um, is maybe higher or more prevalent in males, but what, is there any epidemiological analyses on why it's so much higher for males? So there are, there are a few potential reasons. And I think, you know, this is probably a good time to point out that <laughs> epidemiology is always focused on the large group, which is everybody and it's nobody, right? And so when right, I make right. generalizations like this, this is not to say that every male fits into these categories as we as mm. we all know. Yeah. Um, so with that as as preamble, I'll say men tend to not be great at managing their emotions. They don't talk about their emotions as much as women, um, with apologies to the, the guys on the podcast. Um, and so that's part of it is, you know, understanding how to cope with negative emotions um, and not allowing those negative emotions to manifest into something like suicidality. Um, another part of it is firearms. Uh, you know, I think when you look at the, the, the cause of the fatal injury, um, over half of all suicide deaths among males occur by firearm. That's not true of the females. It's closer to, to a quarter or 20%. Um, with females, it uh, tends to be predominantly um, poisonings or overdoses, drug overdoses. Um, and that also plays into the, there's the lethality of the mechanism that also needs to be considered where, um, you know, a gunshot wound to the head, there's not a lot of, of opportunity for intervention, medical life-saving um, interventions of any kind. Whereas with the poisoning, there might be a little bit of time for some sort of life-saving intervention. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's just, that is a, a big part of it. Um, and when you look at the, the non-fatal injuries relative to the fatal injuries, you see that, that difference in the cause of the injury come up as well, where um, 60 to 70% of the non-fatal injuries are poisonings um, and just a tiny sliver of them are firearm related. Um, because of, again, the lethality of, of the firearms. Yeah. Clarence. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Stephan. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, I, as, as you probably have heard, we talked about this. I come from a community perspective and Stan and I often laugh about the fact that we're very seasoned people. Uh, but uh, I wanna share this with you, just to maybe a commentary, I don't, I don't know. When I was a younger man uh, in my community, we never discussed the issue of suicides. Suicides mm -hmm. was not necessarily a conversation that we talked about. We talked about homicides, mm -hmm. you know, or we would talk about death by police. And I, what I recognize now, uh, even though it still is a uh, tough topic, is that we're starting to see more and more young men killing themselves, committing suicide. And so, mm -hmm. uh, is it is it is it the, the result of better record keeping or are, are, are there some trends that are happening that that we need to be, you know, as communities more aware of uh, in order to to help to alleviate some of these some of these deaths? I know it's kind of a commentary, but it, but 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 it's but it's real for me. It's real for that community. And so just your thoughts. Right. No, I think that's I think that's a good question. And I think that's one of the areas where. Um, identifying the intentionality behind any event, it, I think there's room for improvement. We need to get better at those things. Um, because like you said, the the suicide by um, 
police intervention, you know, people talking about they're going to go intentionally, essentially pick a fight with police. And, you know, they, they don't really seem to be, they don't have an intentionality behind it. They're just, you know, somewhat ambivalent as to whether they live or die from the, from the, um, the interaction. Um, you know, you can see the similar sort of thing with just reckless behavior in general. And so you say there's gray area between intentional and unintentional. And that's, that's one area where we do need to improve um, our ability to understand what's happening in these events. Um, I think, you know, suicide rates have been increasing in, in most populations, if not all populations, uh, particularly in Minnesota. And so when you talk about, you know, when, when you were younger and people didn't talk about suicide, there, there probably wasn't as much suicide around at the time, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and that is maybe particularly true depending on which population we're talking about. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, with regard to violent deaths and firearms, every population is not affected the same way. Um, and so in certain geographies, um, age groups, racial groups, um, homicide is a much more um, pressing and prevalent and present issue than suicide. So, you know, um, here's a little bit of good news, maybe, I guess, you know, for many of the health-related issues, actually, I might go on record as saying maybe most of the health-related issues where we see high, high prevalence, it really affects the, um, the Black community, the Black population more. But what's really interesting is, um, according to your, your, your data here, Stefan, the um, age-adjusted suicide rates by race and ethnicity, it's the low, lowest in the, in the state of Minnesota, it's the lowest in the Black community. So finally, there's some <laughs> relatively good news for the Black community. However, on the other end of the equation, is the American Indian and um, Alaskan Native, you know, and the, which is relatively high, you know, and then, uh, you know, I guess maybe really high, and then followed by white, Hispanic, et cetera. So any, any thoughts about just race in general and maybe what we're seeing here besides just the numbers, any, any guesses on why it might be higher in American Indian and Alaskan Native, for instance? Well, within that community, I think, you know, we can, we need to look at things like historical traumas and um, lack of economic opportunities. Those are some of the, the key risk factors in those yeah. communities um, yeah. within the American Indian population in Minnesota. Um, and, you know, when, when we talk about risk factors, we also like to talk about protective factors. Um, because, you know, we are, we're all going to face adversity. So we need to have resilience. We're all going to face hard times. So we need to have, you know, sort of um, these support systems around us. And um, we're, we're doing work at the health department with the American Indian community to try and increase those protective factors, those resiliency factors. Um, and it's, you know, it is, it's slow work. It's difficult work. Um, and it's definitely an area that we we need to focus on. Um, on the other end of the sort of what you talked about from the the perspective of the Black community in Minnesota, um, officially it is the, it does have they do have the lowest suicide rate um, of the sort of four or five major racial groups in Minnesota. Um, when we have talked to members of the Black community, particularly in you know the in the Twin Cities area. They've talked about saying that, you know, those numbers don't necessarily reflect what they feel is the reality. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is another place yeah. where there are opportunities for um, better understanding of what's happening in, in given specific incidents um, because of the um, less common, less traditional mechanisms of suicide mm -hmm. that they talk about, whether it's, um, you know, increased drug use, sort of reckless drug use. Mm -hmm. um, reckless driving, interactions with police, interactions with other members of the community who they know may be dangerous. Um, so just thinking about that, like I said, the gray area between 
intentional and unintentional um, is something that uh, we at the health department are looking into uh, mm -hmm. understanding better. Um, and one of the ways that we can do that, I don't know if we've mentioned this before on the podcast, is the violent death reporting system, yeah. um, the, the national violent death reporting system, of which Minnesota is one part of 52. Um, mm -hmm. And so we just launched a dashboard um, for the national or for the Minnesota violent death reporting system that provides a little bit more detail on the circumstances behind some of these cases. And we're hoping you know, that can um, springboard us into getting the data into people's hands so that mm. we can get a better understanding and um, guide prevention efforts. I want to say something here. Uh, and I, I know I'm going out on a limb and uh, that's why health chatter is what it is. <laughs> go out on a limb. I think uh, when it comes to this topic, and I, I'm going to say this word and I, I don't mean it uh, in any kind of way. Uh, I just, I'm just going to say it, okay? I think it's more honorable for people to die by homicide than suicide. Mm. And that might be one of the cultural, whatever, social things that, that happens why we, we're not necessarily able to get to um, get deeper into this topic. You know, so you're depressed and so you, you, your pressure is on somebody else. You know, you, like we talked about that external person. And so I just didn't, I never thought about it until you, we just started talking about it today. And I think that, you know, when it comes to people, you know, suicide, like that's, nah, that's kind of coward way out. But homicide, like, hey, you know, you know, there, there is that, that other emotion that comes with that. So I just put that out there. Um, it's not scientific. It's just what I was thinking at this moment, and we're just held shattering away. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, Clarence, I, I was on that same wavelength a little bit, um, but I used a different word, stigma. There's, you know, there's a particular, I think, stigma that um, people attach to um, suicide. Um, you know, like if it happens, to someone that you know or is dear to you, it's like you say, what the heck? Why didn't they get some kind of intervention to, um, to help them, okay? Where, um, and, and to a certain extent, it, it relates to more of a chronic condition. You know, you just don't, it just doesn't happen. At least I think it doesn't happen. The ideas behind this just don't happen overnight. Where with homicide, it like happens. It's an acute event, and boom, that's that that's it. So I think there's a little bit of stigma. All right, I've got another question for Stefan here. Ready? All right. So you know, I'm looking at the, at your data here, and it's interesting. Like between the ages of 20 and 59 or 60, the the, mm -hmm. the rates are you know higher. Then all of a sudden, it takes this kind of dip into the to the 60s so what's going on there are we just wiser or we you know for those of us that are either in our 60s or 70s we've gone through it we've we've dealt with stress we kind of get it and so it's like okay everybody chill out a little bit here or what is it that between what do you think it is i guess between 20 <laughs> and 60 that the rates are higher than like in the sixties or early seventies. Yeah, that's, I think that's a very good question. Um, having not had the honor of getting to my sixties yet, I can't speak from personal <laughs> you'll, experience. You'll, you'll get there. I promise. I mean, I'm hoping, <laughs> um, you know, I, I have lived through my twenties mm -hmm. and I have lived through my thirties. And so yeah. um, I think, you know, it's, it's got to be something different for each five or 10 year age group. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as epidemiologists, we love to put these age groups into buckets and they don't really always fit the best yeah, with how yeah, life yeah. actually goes. Um, because, you know, you think about the adolescence and high school is very, very different from college. Um, and that, you know, it separates at about 18, 19 years of age. Um, and then we like to group the 20 to 25 or 30 year olds. It's like, yeah, but the early 20s are very different from the late 20s. Um, and so I think when we think about that, it needs to be considering what each of those age group stressors are 
Um, yeah. A good example that that is not necessarily in the data, but just um, I, you know, I was talking about a few months ago with some colleagues. Um, we were looking at the prevalence of alcohol use by um, gender and age for suicide decedents. This is something that we found from the the Minnesota Violent Death Reporting System, and I noticed among females in the late 30s and 40s, this alcohol prevalence just spiked. I mean, it skyrocketed. And so this is all among people who have died by suicide in the past five years, five or six years. And so I asked a few of my female colleagues who I had gathered were in that age group. I didn't ask their age because that would be rude and uncouth. Um, but I said, what's, you know, you strike me as a woman in your late 30s. Who, what, what's happening? Why is this? And they said, you know, it's very specific to that age group, but you've got um, often young kids, elementary and middle school kids. You've got parents who are probably needing a little more assistance with various day-to-day -day activities. Maybe you're caring for multiple generations in your own household. And because your kids are past this like toddler stage, you have a little more freedom and encouragement mm -hmm. by your female um, friends to have a drink every now and then. And so it's like, there's just this pervasive presence of alcohol in all these scenarios and they're super high stressed. And so when we think about these different age groups, you know, people in their fifties, maybe they're managing college tuition. Maybe they're managing um, adolescents who are having rebellious episodes and that's very stressful for them. Maybe they've lost their job at, you know, a certain point in their career and they, really are down about starting over um maybe it's all of those things all at once because what we we often hear about suicide we know about suicide is it's not usually one thing there's a tipping point um they talk about you know the drips filling a cup and finally you get enough drips in that cup and it overflows it's not the one drip that overflowed it it's all the drips before um, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's not the single straw. It's all the straws before. Um, and so each of those straws, each of those drips are going to be different depending on the age group. And there's a very good possibility that by the time you get to 60, 65, 70 years of age, many of those things you've gotten through, like you said, you've been able to survive them and adjust to them, and you've built up that resiliency. Um, but then also nationally, these numbers are a little more reliable than in a population the size of Minnesota, 80, 85, 90 years old, those suicide rates are at some of the highest in the country on a year to year basis. So, um, there does seem to be these sort of peaks and valleys across the age spectrum with, with suicide rates. And I think the reasons for that are very different depending on which age you're talking about. You know, I wonder if a big, you know, a big variable is just um, work. Okay, so like, you know, from your 20s to your, you know, mid 60s, 70, um, you're, you know, you're, you're working. And right. um, then all of a sudden, thank goodness, I'm done with that. Okay, that, stre <laughs> that stressor is like gone. And, um, and basically during those years in the, uh, the 60s, 70s, et cetera, um, it's maybe adjustment factors for people as opposed to incredible stressors like from work or bringing up a family or you know, paying for college tuitions and all this other kind of, of, of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, again, I'm only, you know, putting a guess out there as, as well. So no, I'm going to go I ahead. I think you're, you're onto something. So as we mentioned at the top of the episode, my former job was with stay well health management in yeah, workplace yeah. well-being. And yeah. one of the questions that we would ask all the, uh, the participants on the health assessment was different sources of stress. And one day, you know, I was talking with some of my colleagues and they're like, you know, I'm super stressed about this. I wonder if that shows up in the data or is it just me, right? So I said, well, let's look. And we we looked at the prevalence of each of these different stressors by age and it was incredibly different. So childcare, obviously mm -hmm. that's a stressor for people who are in their 
late 20s, 30s, sometimes into their 40s. Not at all when they're in their 50s and 60s and 70s, right? Been there, um, done these, that. Exactly, right. <laughs> but, you know, job responsibilities, not as big of a stressor when you're in your 20s, starts to creep up in your 30s and then into your 40s and 50s, super common. Um, so de- like you said, depending on the age, the stressors are different. Depending on the stressor, you're going to see a very different age profile. And I think, you know, when you're thinking about preventing suicide in a given age group, um, you have to factor that in and understand where those people are coming from. And that's true of racial differences, of uh, gender differences, geographic differences, everything. So let's talk about geographic, since you mm-hmm. mentioned that, because, you know, certainly in the state of Minnesota, again, I don't know what's going on nationally. I'm guessing it it's similar, but it's significantly higher in rural areas. Okay. And has that been pretty much true over the years, you know, that we've been collecting that it's higher in rural areas than in, you know, like in metropolitan areas? Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, One of my favorite charts to show people, you know, this is a podcast. And so all my cool visuals are just really useless. Um, (laughs) On the plus side, I didn't have to shave today. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I like to show people this chart that shows all 50 states in the District of Columbia uh, ranked, you know, on a bar chart from left to right. And so on the left hand side, you've got the states with the lowest suicide rates. And on the right hand state side, you've got the states with the highest suicide rates. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that I like to point out, so I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, Connecticut, California, with the exception of Illinois. Illinois, right. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of California and Illinois, they're all in the Northeast. Right. But they also have these high population centers, high population density. They tend to, I should say. Um, there obviously are places in New York, upstate New York, beautiful, outside of the cities in California, beautiful, not so many people. On the other end of the spectrum, however, Wyoming, Montana, Alaska, exactly. New Mexico. Yeah. Again, there's a geographic component to it um, just in terms of where they're located. But like Alaska's not close to any other state, really. Um, but we talk about population density, and there's this correlation between high population density, lower suicide rates, lower population density, higher suicide rates. It's not perfect, of course. There are going to be some exceptions. Um but that plays out at the state level. It plays out at the uh, at the county level in Minnesota. So when we look at Hennepin County, Ramsey County, Anoka County, some of these counties around the Twin Cities that have higher population densities, the suicide rates do tend to be lower. They're not always lower. You're going to find some exceptions. Um, Northern Minnesota, very rural, very low population density. There tends to be higher suicide rates there. So I wonder if it's, you know, a function of access to care. I think okay. that's part of it. I think that's part of it. Um, when I first stumbled upon this, um, I showed it to my my previous manager, John Raisler, who I think mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, yep. He was with the Minnesota Department of Health for 35 years. He's yeah, still he was with on us on a show. part-time basis. Yeah. Um, he looked he took one look at this correlation and he goes, take out the firearm deaths. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting. So I did that, took out the firearm deaths. Lo and behold, the relationship pretty much disappeared. Um, And so when you look at the firearm suicide rates, you see that correlation, low population density, higher suicide rates. If you look at the poisonings and the suffocations, um, all the other injuries that result in suicide, um, that relationship is not as strong. And so part of the 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 issue driving that is access to firearms there do tend yeah. to be um a higher rate of firearms in rural areas than in in urban areas but i think access to care is absolutely part of it as well yeah i mean if you know i i would guess i'm only guessing that if um anybody is contemplating these types of this type of thing um if you're in an environment at least where you know you might have a chance to get some help, um, that might be a factor as opposed to out in you know in the middle of nowhere. 
and you don't know where to turn. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm only thinking human behavior wise. Clarence. Yeah, one of the things I'm thinking about with our, our, our extensive social networking and things like that, I'm hearing more and more stories about younger people committing suicide. Is that something that is, uh, is true? Or am I just reading more stories about them? I think the rates are increasing for the younger, for younger generations. Um, in fact, in Minnesota, um, in 2021, the highest rate by age group was 25 to 29. Um, that shifts, it, it moves around a little bit just because the size of those populations is not very large. And so the estimates tend to get a little unstable over time. Um, in, in 2022, it looks like the highest rate in the state is going to be, uh, or the highest rate among that sort of general age group is 30 to 34. And so we do tend to see um, increasing rates of, of suicide in the younger adult age group. Um, but I do also think that there's a little bit more attention being paid to it. Lots of um, suicide prevention efforts go into mm-hmm. high schools and middle schools. Um, as well as colleges, um, there's there's increased awareness to reduce the stigma. And so, you know, it's possible, again, trying to put a positive spin on some things that hearing more about it might be a good thing. It might be intentional um, because mm-hmm. we're raising awareness as opposed to, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the pessimistic interpretation is um, hearing more about it means that it's happening more. And I think both are probably true. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, I was just thinking, too, you know, I'm reading more and more about, you know, kids that are 10, 11, 12, that are committing suicide over bullying and those kinds of things. And I was just wondering if that was something that is uh, showing up in the, um, you know, in the reports as well. Yeah, you know, thankfully, those numbers are are low enough now that it's it's difficult to make generalizations like that. I do think um, bullying, any sort of you know, mental or physical abuse of any kind is a risk factor. Um, you know, we talk about adverse childhood experiences, um, the ACEs that are out there with things like um, having a parent in prison, having uh, people who care about you as a protective factor. And so we, we try to look at a lot of those different things and understand what's happening in all those cases, um, but mostly just try to get help for those kids who need it. Um, one of the patterns that we've noticed over the past couple of years is there's there's an increasing number of um, hospital-treated self-harm and suicide ideation among 10 to 19-year-olds just in the last year and a half or two years. Um, and we do see a pretty strong seasonality to that, where mm. the number of cases in hospitals in Minnesota of teenagers being um, treated at the hospital for self-harm or suicide ideation, the number of those cases is higher during the school year. Um, it increases in September and October and stays pretty static throughout the winter um, with a small decrease in December associated with the holidays. Um, and then it comes back down, really drops pretty sharply in June um, after school tends to be out. Um, And again, there are two sort of competing interpretations of why that might be happening. Number one um, relates to the bullying that you mentioned, Clarence. And so if you're in school, you're sort of, you have no choice but to face your bullies every day. They're there. There's no way to get around them. um, And it can be very stressful and, um, and troubling. When you're out of school, that's not the case. You know, in the summertime, you've got a little bit more separation from those experiences. And so that might be contributing to decreased treatment in hospitals for suicide ideation. On the flip side of that, when you're in school, there are more adults. They're trained to see um, things like depression and anxiety and suicide ideation, and they're mandatory reporters. And so if you've got a student who, you know, is experiencing these sorts of things, there's just a higher likelihood that somebody in the school is going to notice it and report it and get the help that the student needs, as opposed to in the summer when they may not be in school um, and their parents might not be trained to see that. They might not be um, as present as all of those, those teachers in the school and counselors and everybody else that are in schools. You know, one thing that um, I think is important for 
all of us and those of us in the, in the listening audience here is to realize this. We all, as human beings, have ups and downs, okay, mm -hmm. no matter what. We all have um, stressors that are more intense at times than, um, than others. And um, it's how um, you as a particular human being can, can cope with them and deal with them from, from time to time. So um, as we come towards the end of the show, I, I really think it's important that we, um, we tell everybody um, what, what are the typical kinds of warning signs for uh, suicide. So for instance, um, people are talking about that they wanna die or they feel guilty or they have a lot of shame or they feel as though um, they're a burden on, on others. Um, a sense of emptiness or hopelessness, um, extremely sad or um, anxious. Um, or, you know, even for some people, they're, they're experiencing unbearable pain, you know, and that might be from, you know, a particular medical condition where they just say, you know what, I can't cope with this anymore. Um, and, you know, people start thinking about um, plans. They make plans um, ahead of time. Um, what else have you heard? Stefan, from um, your colleagues, as far as um, as warning signs, I guess in the, in this arena. I mean, I think a, a couple other things would include, you know, if if like you mentioned, somebody talks about or um, mentions plans of suicide, if they have uh, known people who have had uh, suicidal experience or died by suicide in the past, um, you know thinking about those individuals who have access to firearms, I think is also a, a factor to consider. Um, we know that veterans are at a high risk of suicide as well mm. as national guard members. Um, anybody in a high risk or a high stress profession, yeah. um, you know, whether it's a medical doctor, emergency room, um, those sort of firefighters, police officers, the sort of natural helpers that are out in the community, um, and we also talk about you know, those natural helpers as being resources, obviously, but when you continually drain the same resource over and over and over again, That's that can point. become an issue. Um, and so I think the other thing I'd mention is, you know, it, it's not going to hurt to ask. So if somebody, if you're concerned about somebody, check in on them, ask them if they're thinking about suicide, take it seriously. If they mention, um, thoughts of dying or, you know, joke about dying um and you know don't don't overlook those those types of experiences i think because um it like i said it never hurts to ask right um, and then keep 988 at the front of your minds so we mentioned that yeah. at the top of the show 988 dial it right. just like 911 right <laughs> you know and and i hope that that doesn't create you know more confusion you know 411 988 you know that you know it's like okay there are quick dial resources that right. we really need to uh, be aware of. Clarence, last thoughts here. I just want to just say, Stefan, thank you. Uh, I thought it was, a, it was an excellent conversation. Uh, I, I do believe that, you know, from my perspective, that there is more conversation that we need to have. And also to make people more aware of the, the signs of people that are, uh, that might be struggling with this issue. I know so many times when I hear about someone that did commit suicide, how people say, well, I'm just surprised, you know, and yet at the same time, if, if there was a, uh, if there's an awareness of, of, of those things that uh, 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 we should be watching for, we would, uh, we, we may be able to assist better. And so from, from my perspective, I think it's a, it's a great a reminder of what we as, as uh, healthcare practitioners need to be doing in order to help to address this issue. But so I wanna just thank you for, you know, for the, uh, for the dialogue. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for and having th me. And, and, and Stefan, thanks for um, putting the numbers behind it. You know, it's sometimes, you know, you can talk about a particular subject just overall, but then 
typically somebody will ask, well, how bad is it? You know, or, you know, how many people actually, and then when you put numbers to a particular issue, then, um, you know, we have these aha moments. And, and I hope all of us on the show have this aha moment. And it, it's okay to hold somebody's hand, okay, and help them through things. It's okay to give somebody a hug if they need it. You know, just some, some support is really good. I appreciate your optimism. Um, you know, there, and there is, there's, there is something to be said about this or, or as professionals, we should look for that. And because that those are um, the hopeful signs, certainly from a, a public health perspective. So Stefan, thanks. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll keep, we'll keep in touch with you to see if there's other information that, that comes your way. So thanks again. Thank so you. for our listening audience, we have lots of great shows coming up. We have, uh, we're, we're going to get, you know, it's kind of an interesting segue. We're going to get into the mental health arena a little bit. So um, next week, we're going to be talking about government and mental health policy. And then eventually, we're going to be having talks on where we stand with mental health, clinical aspects of, of mental health, et cetera. We're also gonna be talking about asthma. We're having uh, Senator John Marty come and talk to us about policy at the, uh, at the state level. So lots of great shows coming up on health chatter. So for all of us here, Stefan, Clarence and, and the staff, thanks for listening in and keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.